Well, I want to welcome all of you that are here, all of you that watch online. I know a lot of people travel during this season, and so a lot of people that normally would be here are gone, and a lot of people are here that are from other places. So welcome to the hills, and if you are here Christmas Eve, I really hope that you'll come to one of our Christmas Eve services. I think you will be inspired. In fact, the series I'm currently in will conclude on Christmas Eve. We're talking about upside-down Christmas, the idea that the birth of Jesus reorients and reframes everything that we think about, including wisdom. So, there's this noted and honored chemistry professor that goes all over giving lectures, and he's taken by a chauffeur. And they've done this routine so many times that on the way to one of their dinners, the chauffeur says, Professor... I've heard your speech so many times, I think I could give it. And the professor said, no, you couldn't. And the chauffeur says, I'll bet you $100 I could. So they stop the limo, get out of the car, and change clothes. And the professor puts on the chauffeur's jacket and gets in the front seat. And the chauffeur gets in the back seat. And they show up at the dinner. They're escorted in. And the chauffeur, dressed like the professor, gets up and gives that speech verbatim. And receives a standing ovation. And then the MC for the evening says, what a wonderful message from such a noted scholar. And since we have a little time left, I'm sure he wouldn't mind fielding some questions from the audience. And so at the very first question, you could see that he doesn't know quite what to do. He takes a few sips of water. And then finally, he straightens up and looks at the person who asked the question and said, that's the silliest question I've ever heard. It is an insult to my intelligence. In fact, the answer is so obvious, I'm going to ask my chauffeur to come up here and give it to you. Because sometimes the person who appears wise is actually a fool. And sometimes the person who seems foolish actually possesses greater wisdom. And Matthew understood that. Because he recognized the birth of Jesus had turned everything upside down, including the way we think about wisdom. Because Christmas is still calling all wise men, even if that's what no one else is calling them. Because here's the truth. Christmas is foolishness. And I'm not talking about elves and flying reindeer Or the way that so many think they can spend their way to happiness, as crazy as that is. I'm saying that the whole idea of virgin births and moving stars and God becoming a man is absurd. And it was meant to be. I'm saying that there is a kind of foolishness that God has intentionally embraced and employed as a way of exposing the emptiness of what the world calls wisdom. Look with me, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish 
the wisdom of the world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. In other words, what the Bible says is that one barrier between man and God is man's overestimation of his own wisdom. That man's intellectual pride gets in the way of the God he needs. So God chooses to show man the emptiness of his wisdom through the preaching of what at first looks like foolishness. Because Paul goes on to say in verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And so the coming of Christ And all about the story that appears to be foolish is in fact God's way of turning wisdom upside down. Because it is not smart for you to never consider the weakness of worldly wisdom. For example, you understand that worldly wisdom is dated. It always has been and it always will be. We teach in our schools today ideas that mock what a few generations ago was taught as brilliant. And don't think in a few generations they will not ridicule thinking that today we think is genius. Because human wisdom is always dated. But here's a bigger problem. Human wisdom is always inadequate. Because finite men and women cannot discern and give answers to infinite questions. Where did we come from? Why are we here? What is life's meaning? What happens After we die. And philosophy attempts to answer these questions. And philosophy always comes up against this question. Says who? Because at the end of the day, after you have spouted off all of your brilliant philosophy, you're just as mortal as I am. And that's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. Christmas is inviting us to consider a different kind of wisdom. And Matthew does that by telling us about some men called magi, or your Bible might say, Wise men. He starts in chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, the east refers to a land called Persia. 
a land where the Jewish people once were held in captivity. And Magi were very, very important foreign dignitaries. They worked for kings because they were considered experts in the fields of astrology and dream interpretation. And so what the Magi could do is discern the fates and give the king counsel about what the future might hold so that he could make good decisions. So they were esteemed. They were very important in their world. But they weren't in their world. They were in a world where in the first place, as Gentiles and as former captors, they were despised for their race. And then the Old Testament said astrology was to be shunned by God's people. So they were despised for their profession. But they show up with this question. Where's the king? The new king, where is he? And they learned from the scriptures that if a new king was coming, it would be in Bethlehem, the city of David. So it says in verse 9 that after they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. Now remember, these are really powerful, important men. And they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So here are men who leave very important jobs, are gone a long time. They travel, all told, about 2,000 miles at great expense to come to a nation that despises their race and their profession to worship a baby. So were they wise or were they foolish or maybe were they both? Perhaps the Christmas story is calling us to embrace what I would call a wise kind of foolishness. A kind, for example, that believes that miracles really happen. Now, I have read accounts that try to say that star was probably a comet or some moon of a planet. No normal star can guide travelers. No normal star can specifically focus its glow on a spot. Matthew is clearly presenting this star as a supernatural manifestation. And worldly wisdom holds up its hands and says, okay, we don't do miracles. We believe in natural causes that explain everything. We don't do supernatural explanations. And that might be your world view. My worldview has room for the miracle, for the supernatural. And I admit up front, my worldview requires faith. But so does yours. It takes faith to believe That out of all this something, there was once nothing that produced it. 
It takes faith to believe that non-order produced order. It takes faith to believe that in this closed system where everything has a cause, there was a beginning by an uncaused cause. And that uncaused cause, call him or it God, demands the possibility that miracles then would not just be possible, but logical and still available. Maybe that's why, according to the American uh, Association for the Advancement of Science, uh, two million scientists right now in our country identify themselves as evangelical in their faith. That their study of science has only increased their belief in a creator and a designer. I'm not here to do an apologetics on the credibility of miracles. I'm simply here to say that these wise men had room in their minds for the supernatural to invade their world. Christmas presents a God who is real, who is near, and who still does things that human wisdom can't explain. And he does it for one reason, to reach the world that he loves And so God used a star to speak a language that astrologers could understand. Because wise people recognize the presence and the movement of God in the world. Notice, no one else saw this star, but they did. And I believe God still is moving in ways that only some can see to bring the world to himself. Think about your own life story. All the people you met, all the places you've been, all the things that have happened that weren't just coincidences. Because God is at work seeking people who are humble enough to seek Him. People who are foolish enough to seek a better kingdom. Because wise foolishness believes that Jesus really rules. Now these are powerful, important men. What are they doing on their faces in front of a baby? Well, they didn't come to look for a kid. They came to look for a king. Because real wisdom recognizes real sovereignty. And I will admit, for many of us, this is a greater faith challenge than the possibility of miracles. For some of us, believing that God exists is not as hard as believing that God is in charge. I mean, if Jesus really rules... Why are kids still getting shot at schools? Why do dads get cancer when they're too young? And why do grandmothers get Alzheimer's 
when it's too early. And why do planes fly into buildings if Jesus is in charge? And what the New Testament authors ask us to embrace is a wise foolishness that sees that what God started at Bethlehem, that what God is doing in the ministry of Jesus Christ has challenged Satan's illegitimate reign. That something that is unstoppable is at work. That it is going to end in the eternal exaltation of Jesus Christ and the eternal humiliation of the enemy. That's why one of my favorite books is the book of Revelation. It was written to real churches in a real crisis who are asking a real question. If Jesus is on the throne, then why is Caesar calling all the shots? And what John gets is this vision that says to the church, if you're going to be able to handle all the evil around you, you're going to have to have a glimpse of what's going on above you. So the curtain is pulled back and John sees a throne. And on this throne is the one who was and who is and who is to come. And everything is calm around that throne. Even the sea and the sea to the Jewish mind is where all evil came from. But that sea was like glass. And then he saw a lamb. A lamb looking like he had been slain who sits on that throne. And all the creatures in heaven fall down and worship this lamb. And the message is clear. That someday Satan is going to be overthrown. Because even right now when it doesn't look like it, he is under the throne. And wise foolishness can see that. And be encouraged by that. Real wisdom recognizes that all the princes right now asking for your allegiance are pretenders. And real foolishness is refusing to transfer sovereignty to Christ. And I think that's the real reason the worldly wise mock Jesus. Because we love to worship this idol called control. So we sing a few songs, put up a few lights, open a few gifts, and then we pack up Jesus and all the decorations and put them in the attic. Keep him a baby. We don't want Jesus to grow up because he might tell us how to run our lives. But Christmas calls us to recognize the reason he was born a king was because he was already a king before he was born. He has always been a king. He will always be a king. And someday the world will recognize the foolishness of rejecting him. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess his lordship. Which I think is one reason why every tongue got a birth announcement. You ever noticed the diversity in the birth narratives. You've got gender diversity. You've got racial diversity. You've got economic diversity. And Matthew was sending a message. That wise foolishness believes. 
everyone really matters. See, Christmas gave birth to the most inclusive faith the world has ever seen. I read with some interest not long ago a story about a family in Roanoke just up the road who as a part of some cultural exchange program hosted a rabbi from Russia over the Christmas season. And wanting to share with him some of the culinary delights of North Texas, they took him to their favorite Chinese restaurant. And so at the end of the meal, the waiter brought all the people at the table a little Christmas ornament. And the father, the host, noticed they were made in India. And everyone kind of chuckled until they noticed their guest and he had tears in his eyes. And so immediately the father apologized and said, I'm sorry if we offended you by giving you a gift that commemorates a Christian holiday. And the rabbi said, no, these are tears of joy. I am so thankful to be in a country where a Buddhist could give a Jew a Christmas gift made by a Hindu. And Christmas, from the very start, has been bringing people together that would not ever get together. God is inviting everyone to the celebration of the arrival of His Son. Because as foolish as it sounds, Jesus really is the hope of the world. We live in a world... Always at war over our differences. We've been tragically reminded just in the last month or two. We have a long way to go in this country in overcoming racial divides. And it's a global phenomenon. Recently in Pakistan, children are murdered in a school by gunmen because their version of Islam was different than the murderers. And it wasn't that long ago in Rwanda that a million people are killed because they're from a different tribe. And on the streets of our own cities, you can be murdered by someone that looks just like you because you're from a different gang. And worldly wisdom says the way to peace is more education and more legislation and maybe more intimidation. We'll just buy bigger guns. But according to the foolishness of God, real reconciliation will only come with the recognition that all of us fall short of God's glory and that all of us are in common need of grace and that only when we understand That all of us desperately need a Savior. Will that common wisdom 
transcend everything that we think makes us different. I hate it whenever there's a, the latest conflict. What I hate most is Christians inevitably get on Facebook and they rant in ways that I think just embarrasses Jesus. But there was, after the tragedy in Ferguson, one blog I read that inspired a lot of people. It went viral. It was by an NFL football player named Ben Watson. He's the son of a minister. And he was very honest about how the events in Ferguson had a profound impact on him. It saddened him to think about loss of life. It, it frustrated him to realize we have a long way to go before we see all people as equal. It disturbed him that people were so quick to rush to judgment and point fingers without knowing the whole story on either side. But he ended his article with these words that inspired a lot of folks. But I'm encouraged. Because ultimately the problem is not a skin problem. It is a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover for our own. Sin is the reason we riot and loot and burn. But I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through His Son, Jesus. And with it, a transformed heart and mind. One that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. The cure for the Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and Eric Garner tragedy is not education or exposure. It's the gospel. And so finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives mankind hope. Christmas says... Christmas says black lives matter. And so do white lives. And so do red and brown and yellow lives. And so do rich lives. And so do poor lives. And so do old lives and young lives. And so do the lives of the people that don't like you. That don't agree with you. So do the lives of the people who think that Christians are fools. We are. I'm a fool for Christ. And I am foolish enough to believe that only the Prince of Peace can turn this crazy world right side up. And one day, he will. And until then, I am going to keep living upside down in the eyes of conventional wisdom. Because Jesus is the word to the wise. Now we're about to have family reunions. And let's be honest. Don't we all have that one person in the family that's just a little off? 
Do you know what the word eccentric literally means? It just means off center. I want you to hear me say Christmas is not seasonal. We'll pack up the decorations. But Christmas is a call to center every day and every part of your life around Jesus. You need to center your finances around Jesus. You need to center the way you express your sexuality around Jesus. You need to center the way you treat people, starting with your family, around Jesus. Because if Jesus is not the center, you're crazy. And it starts by admitting you need a Savior. You're not that smart. And you can't save yourself. And so the Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. And I know right now, listening to me, is someone on whom the Spirit of God is crushing your pride and asking you to surrender your intelligence for the foolishness of God become man. And so in 1953, almost a thousand people got special invitations to the coronation of Queen Elizabeth. And in the beautiful script were these words, all excuses set apart. There was no RSVP. Because you were being summoned by the throne. And there was no excuse good enough to not be there. And you're still being summoned. And one day, every knee will bow. But wise people do now. So, Father, I'm, I'm asking in the powerful name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit will humble hearts so that we can receive a new kind of wisdom today. A wisdom that will appear foolish to a world that is perishing, but will in fact prove itself to be brilliant to the kingdom that is eternal. And I know right now, Father, there's some hearts that are struggling. Surrender is hard. And the enemy is saying, that's not smart. You're going to give up control of your life to a crucified man? And so I pray, Holy Spirit, just continue. Just continue. Just continue to knock down the walls of our pride and our arrogance. So that we can see the foolishness of resisting our Savior. Oh, come, oh, come, 
Emmanuel. May every heart prepare him room. Amen. Let's all stand. So upstairs and downstairs, we're going to have people ready to receive those who want to come to their king. You can come for prayer. You can come for counsel. You can come to ask how to get saved today. But you need to come. All excuses set apart.